Telling Stories from the EGA Clubhouse. Good everybody. Welcome to this EGA podcast on the boom of global language localization. Uh, thanks to Cicely and the team at EGA. Um, this podcast is um, about the EGA sharing stories from all around the world. And this year, we're starting a story from down south in Auckland, New Zealand, but coming to you with some special guests up in LA, USA. Today's broadcast is about uh, language localization and the unique pressures that are facing the industry due to the global explosion of content and the ways production and creative teams can work better and more effectively with talent, in part thanks to some technology. We're going to explore a range of challenges, solutions and innovations that are facing dubbing and uh, the technical opportunities that are ahead. My name's Steve Renata, um, kia ora, and I'm the Managing Director of Kiwa Digital, the parent company of VoiceQ Technology, uh, a Māoripreneur, that's a, an Indigenous entrepreneur and a localization advocate. Um, today's session is sponsored by VoiceQ, localization software used for audio description, dubbing, subtitling and voiceover. Uh, for TV, film, video content, and currently licensed in six continents uh, with 160 facilities and about 7,000 professionals. But the stars of the show today, folks, are two great gentlemen and uh, people I've privileged to know um, in no particular order. Charles Fabby, who's the Director of English and Creative Dubbing Services at Pixel Logic Media, and also the founder of Encore Voices. Charles is a French-American actor, born in France from an Algerian father and French mother, and grew up in the Alps before starting a career in Paris. He moved over to LA to pursue his career and his dream to make um, a modern Western, and he's an avid motorcycle racer, and also teaches learning French through acting for Middlebury College. So kia ora, welcome, Charles. And also alongside him, um, another great man in the industry, Matt Collar. Uh, Matt's been primarily working in film and directing for film. Um, his work has been featured on, on major horror outlets and showcased in film festivals all around the world. Besides the camera work, though, uh, Matt's uh, also directed some big stuff in English voice cast for Netflix, international's hits like Money Heist and Lupin. If you haven't seen those ones, make sure you do. And his original composing can be heard in um, cult classics, feature films like Bobcat, Gothwaite's God Bless America, and theme parks like the Eldorado Frontier in Long Beach, California. So uh, kia ora, welcome, Matt. Great to have you on board as well. For our listeners today, if, if you're, depending on what part of the industry you're in, just want to frame up a little bit about what's really going on in Dublin. How big is this thing? Well, the global content industry is estimated to be around about 4.9, let's call it $5 billion, and growing at about 10% per annum, which is expected to carry on right through to 2026. Last year alone, Netflix dubbed 5 million minutes of programming and subtitled 7 million minutes. The consumption of dub programming has increased 120% from 2020 to 2021, and it will continue to. A lot of this growth is to do with foreign language being dubbed into English, but it goes both ways. In terms of the, the people in the industry, uh, we know that there are hundreds of studios all around the world that are doing different types of growth. About 3,000 actually do uh, dubbing. Um, we know that voice talent uh, fees account for about 70% of dubbing expenses. That's particularly in the creative areas. And tech's becoming a, a more leading influence in how dubbing is actually um, performed as a workflow. 
when we look at the creative talent, you know, if you Google this, you'll find there's about 30,000 creative directors around the world, 5,000 pro engineers, 300,000 professional voice talent, and about 65,000 translator adapters. If you move up into the consumer space, you start to get into the millions. So people that are doing YouTube and, and TikTok and podcasting and so forth like we have today. So huge opportunities, growth markets, and we're really interested today to find out how does creative and technology really come together in the real world with all the various opportunities and challenges that are going on. So without any further ado, I'm just going to ask my experts today what they think the opportunities and the challenges are. So Charles, um, congratulations on the new role at uh, Pixel Logic Media. Um, I couldn't think of a better person to be heading up that, that team over there. From a creative director perspective, looking at you know whatever part of the workflow you think is relevant, what do you see as far as challenges and opportunities? Um, thank you for inviting me first, um, uh, Stephen, and hi, Matt. Um, what I'm seeing is I'm seeing, um, of course, uh, more foreign language content being produced by the you know streaming platforms and and, and producers, and um, for some part of the world where dubbing is part of the culture, I'd say that it's kind of business as, as usual because they know uh, how to do it and is, their problem is just to scale up. So uh, that's the, the, their world right now. They're trying to expand the capacity. Uh, for the countries where dubbing is not a culture or dubbing has somehow a bad reputation, there is a lot of work to do. There is a, a, a lot of work to do because um, we are all sharing a pool of talent that is uh, uh, not limitless. So uh, in, in terms of um, being able to expand, uh, we have first to train of all these talents, you know, adapters, uh, directors, sound engineers. And also we have to um, kind of set standards because these standards are already set in the, in, in, in the countries where uh, dubbing is part of the culture. Here, the standards uh, are not really set and this dubbing arrived like a storm. So, of course, because we are in Hollywood, there is a lot of people from all over the world with that kind of dubbing culture. And uh, it seems that at the beginning, all these people were kind of like heavy lifting this, uh, the, the start of this, uh, of this dubbing industry. Uh, but now it's time, because they all came from different backgrounds, now it's, it's time to set some standards. So I think that's the, 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 main, uh, the main, I mean, thing to increase the capacity of our dubbing industry, I would say here, because I'm talking about the United States or any country who doesn't have a dubbing culture, is going to be to set standards and increase capacity as far as creative teams is concerned. Thank you, Charles. Matt, um, you've had some, some big successes, but you've also got a really diverse portfolio of work that you've been doing. And as you've moved into some of the bigger productions that we're aware of, uh, you know, the, the Money Heists and the Lupins, what have you seen as sort of, if you like, an evolution, if we look maybe three or four years ago in that creative space dealing with translators, adapters, and through to creative directors, what have been the big shifts that you've seen? Yeah, it's a great question. So 
I come from a film and theater background. You know, that's mostly my, my thing. And so when I got into dubbing, it was random and very strange. And it was after I directed a play, uh, Evil Dead the Musical, and an incredible producer, uh, David McLafferty, grabbed me and brought me in and was essentially like, do you want to do this? you want to try this? And he knew my work and some of my films. So when I started, I there wasn't a lot of do this or don't do this, which is really cool. And so kind of the way that I saw it with my amazing casting director, Dorit Simone, who I've used on pretty much everything now on camera and off camera in, in dubbing was let's just do this like we do a movie. Let's do it like we do a movie and let's look at let's take that and trickle that down from the top and so i think at the beginning that was kind of scary maybe uh for some people to go like wait what but this is post-production it's like yes it's post-production but essentially what we're trying to do is capture the energy and the creativity of of the original so we kind of have to start to think about it differently than just like we're going in there and saying some lines uh and and i think that was new to people to start thinking about that. And, you know, by using technology and by using something like voice cue where we'd have it on the screen, uh, what was exciting is the actors would be like, Oh, okay. I've never dubbed before. I don't really understand it, but I've done a ton of TV and I've done a ton of film. I've done a ton of theater. So I think, I guess a short answer to that is, I've seen the lines kind of blurring between actors that were just doing voice and actors that were doing film and television. And I've realized that dubbing is an exciting, uh, actually part of the industry. It's sort of new here, like Charles was saying. Uh, and it's a good way to keep your craft going and make a living for actors and directors. And I think that's cool. And I think there's starting to be maybe that idea that if we infuse the creativity as artists into this, you know, and mix that with technology, that's sort of something that becomes um, kind of special. And yeah. Thanks, man. Charles, um, you know, in the, the various conversations we've had over the years, I know you were a big um, advocate for quality, particularly when mm -hmm. it comes to the adaptation of the script. And things have evolved over the years. If, you know, in, in a simplistic way of looking at it, it's saying we started with paper and now we've got uh, software on iPads and so forth. Is there any correlation between moving from traditional methods, which obviously have worked for decades, and moving into technology for the adaptation part? Does it actually improve the quality or is it more about the efficiency? What, what's your read as you've, you've observed and participated in, in the changing of, of technology over the last 10 years, 20 years? Yeah, I mean, both quality and, and, uh, and efficiency combined together, which is quite amazing. But just before that, I, I want to um, just to... to uh, talk about the dubbing from from a not a different perspective but just from an audience perspective you know when when somebody watches a movie uh whether on a tv or goes to a, a movie theater uh, basically the audience pre try to predispose its its its, its brain to to make sure that they they're gonna be uh i would say kiddish enough 
to believe something that the rational mind know is not true, correct? That's what we do. And when the story is well done, uh, we don't have any problem to believe that what we're seeing is true, even if our rational mind knows that is not. Now, when you add to this the language, you have, you have to predispose your brain in two ways. First, that you're going to believe something that you know is not true. And second, that you're going to believe that the person you see speaking on screen is not speaking the language you hear, but you are willing to believe that. That's a lot to ask to an audience. And when I talk about the kiddish way, is that if you take a kid to a magic show, and at one point in the show, he sees either the, the card in the sleeve or the little string that holds a dollar bill, you losing him. The kid's gonna go, oh, no, 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 no. I, I, I see it's not true, but bye. And it's done. Same thing, same thing for the audience. If they see technically that the, the speaker is not speaking the language, you're gonna lose them. And the, the thing is that they're not gonna even know that it is because of this. They're just gonna say, oh no, I don't like it, but they don't know why. I can tell you that 90% of the time, it's because of this. So it's to say that the technical part of dubbing, which is really trying to you know, replicate, and I don't want to be technical and talk about labels, but I think it's pretty, uh, everybody can understand that BMPs, you have your lips touching. So if you can match at least this technically, you might entertain the magic of that. So the problem is, I mean, not the problem, the, the challenge is that by doing that, you have to do compromise. Compromise. You have to compromise. So the, the challenge of adaptation is to com compromise your transcreation. Remember, we did the a webinar about transcreation because this is not translation. This is really transcreation. You have to do some compromise because either you kill the magic by being very truthful, like almost to the, to the, to the word. You know, if you stop any movie at one instant and you say, oh, what I hear is not what the guy is saying really. Yes, maybe, but if he said like two seconds later or one second later because you inverted something in a sentence, but overall you have exactly the same meaning, you haven't contained the magic and you have not betrayed the meaning. So that's where the, the technology helped tremendously the creative, the creative people. And even if we were doing still good dubbing with paper watching a time code uh, now the technology have allowed us to open uh, the pool of talent to almost anybody who can read and who is a good actor rather than uh, having a very 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 uh, selective uh, talent pool of, of people who are almost technician because it's very daunting to uh, to be able to watch time codes uh, and 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 even that on the granular level to hit all this label or technical stuff, it's, it's, it's almost impossible. So this technology have helped a lot, a lot, a lot. And similarly for you, Matt, um, having 
it witnessed an evolution and it's still evolving. Um, when we look at different prompting techniques, so we're, we're moving from, we've got the paper piece and you know, we move to a, a screen that's doing a beautiful user interface. On the actual prompting tools, so just to, to pull out a few, three beeps, streamers, wipes, and then you've got this rhythmo band style. What have you noticed in terms of when you're working with talent, in terms of what people are using? Um, if we think of there, there is an evolution towards rhythmo band, it's particularly the more advanced stuff now. What are your observations about what people prefer, how they perform? Do they want to change? Is this good, bad, or is it just about try whatever whatever uh, prompting tool works for you? Right on. Yeah, yeah. I, I think um, again, you know, for me uh, as a screenwriter and you know, primarily in film easier the better easier the better I, I need to be able to sit there and and find the truth with the actor and the character and be able to change a line and to go and go and if something doesn't work i need to be able to do it fast and so i think you know the actors are on the same page as that is you know i mean something something like voice cue when, when we have tools like that where we're effortlessly seeing the lines and performing i mean that's key because here's the thing is it's not like and don't don't take this the wrong way but the, the the words are irrelevant right the words are irrelevant the words are just words when we're going from french to english spanish to english whatever the words are meaningless because that's not where the actual core of the story is that's not where the real performance is it's in the emotion it's in it's in why is this character doing this and when we start looking at things that way is like not just hey say this word like this on this piece of paper or whatever but we go why are you saying this word you're doing this make sure that you're sounding like this person saying this and treating it like these real scenes something like voice you having the lines on there with us while we're watching it is beautiful because it almost starts to do that thing. You know, when you're watching a great subtitled film and your brain kind of starts doing two things at once, you're reading and ingesting the images. I think actors love it. And I think like it's, it's as much as we can do to give them the tools to perform as if they were in the actual film. That's, that's where I'm at. So, yeah. Excellent. And then um, another big talking point across the industry is native tools and cloud tools. Um, COVID really put the fire under um, the growth of cloud technology. It provides a whole bunch of different things and some benefits, um, particularly for remote workers. So one of the things that we, we saw all around the world when COVID hit at a global level in the beginning was voice talent were forced to work from home. And suddenly it was like, how do I actually do my job from home and get my recording to the studio appropriately? And so there are a lot of different ways to do that, but we saw a rise in cloud technology. Charles, you know, your view on the world of the pros and the cons of, of cloud, where does it sit now and what do you see over the next couple of years with cloud um, as an adjunct to native tools? I mean, I am I, I love studios and uh, and I think Matt will be um will agree with me that you know there is a connection between the actor and the director and and uh, i need to see people i need to feel people and uh, uh, you can do that absolutely uh, uh, with the cloud-based solutions and i think cloud-based solutions are good also because uh, there is um, actors they live anywhere so uh, if they're not 
if they, if they are not close to a studio, somehow they cut themselves from, from, from this industry a little bit. So this uh, cloud solutions uh, is also a way to have actors all over the world and to give them a chance also to be able to, um, uh, to record. So I think this is, this is great, but me, if you ask me, I, I prefer the work into the studio, but there is some efficiency also now on the business standpoint is that, you know, when you have what we call in the business one liners or, or, or uh, I don't want to establish a hierarchy in the roles, but uh, sometimes uh, to have these people recording remotely in, in to be, you know, to talk about efficiency and having the leads in the studio, all of a sudden you can uh, dub more uh, minutes during the same period of time. So as far as efficiency, it's also a plus. And Matt, any thoughts from you around cloud, native tech, hybrids? What's your experience? Oh, you know, I think, um, yeah, COVID was weird. <laughs> COVID was weird trying to get people to work and and I mean I'm I'm open. I I I let the smart people create like you guys all of these amazing tools to to help them. So I, I think any 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 way to give um more people opportunity to to have this work is is really cool. Thank you, Matt. Um, one of the big um, aspirations for the, the team at, at VoiceQ is to actually create more work which probably sounds uh, counterintuitive, you know, technology in many cases is replacing work. But we really believe there's an opportunity to have more voice talent as one particular pool doing more stuff at a high quality level and being compensated appropriately. Um, from, from both of you, because um, we're getting towards the end of our podcast, if you were to give your younger self some advice, either as a voice talent actor or as a creative director to make it in 2023, what would that advice be? Charles. Uh, my advice would be uh, continue to work on your craft as an actor and uh, observe as much as you can other actors working because if you happen to be dubbing, you're going to have to uh, try to um, uh, have, you have, you're going to have to fit in somebody else's shoes and you're going to have to work with the rhythm and all that. So that's very important to be able to do that, to have that kind of uh, ability as an actor. I think that would be the, the, the main thing and because the rest is given to you. You know, I always say that uh, if you think you are a good singer, under the shower, you might have a chance of, of being a good dubber because first of all, it, it requires rhythm and there is almost no, I mean, there is no audience, not on a, on a stage. So the stage fright, even the, 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 the fear of being in front of a camera, all that is gone. So, uh, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of, of, of singers in the shower who have, they could have made a career out of being a singer until they had to sing in front of somebody. <laughs> so that would be it. I think we might have just pushed up the global stock prices for waterproof microphones with that statement, Charles. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Matt, uh, any advice to your younger self to, you know, to be a great voice talent or creative 
director in uh, 2023? Yeah, I, I guess just more of a, a, a general sense. I, I think um, a lot of what we do as directors, and I'm, and that's the broadest sense of what I mean, is that whether that's voice, whether that's film, whether that's theater, whatever is working with actors, right? And that's sort of like, we surround ourselves with these amazing technicians, with these amazing tools, and then we focus on the story. Focus, focus, focus on the story and making sure that we're pulling that out with the actors. Now, I think what is really fun for me about voice directing and particularly live action English dubbing, you know, is that sense that we actually get to log hours of that and it's crunched and it's fast sometimes, but you get so much experience learning what it's like to create an ensemble cast and to work with actors. So I, I think that's a really good experience, you know, for, you know, anybody either starting or working, uh, you know, now already. And it's just, it's, uh, yeah, I think I think that's it. It's just having that time to work face to face with actors. Like I've I've had a chance to work with you know like bigger stars on dubs because of our amazing Dorit Simone and everybody at, at Netflix. That most directors that direct them probably got like a day with them, you know, and and we've had weeks. And so there's something invaluable about having that experience, learning that part of the craft. It's um, been an absolute pleasure to uh, listen to you both uh, looking at the opportunities and challenges in the booming global language localization industry. Um, all the statistics say this is going to keep rocking for at least another two or three years. Um, and we know that you've both already played a really significant part in it. And uh, we look forward to supporting more of that. Um, some, some key points that I pulled out of your insights today was that there are more opportunities for people to get involved in the industry now, um, you know, from singing in the shower to voice uh, actors coming across to do more voice work, which is exciting. And that technology is playing a role in, in part of that growth in professionalising and increasing quality with the efficiency that often the content owners are driving. So I would say it's an exciting time for all of us to be in the sector. We're certainly excited uh, here at VoiceQ, and uh, we thank all our users and um, look forward to keeping that big ship of localization sailing over on into the horizon. So thank you both. Thank you to our sponsors at EGA. Absolute pleasure. And look forward to our next blog in the not-too-distant future. You've been listening to Telling Stories from the Clubhouse. Join us next week as we discuss more topics and tales about sharing stories with the world.